Welcome back to another episode of the Handmade Network podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Flurry, and I'm joined again by Rudy Fail. This time, Rudy will again flip things around and interview me about the state of Handmade Network in 2021. We'll be discussing what we've been doing both as an admin staff and as a community, where we can improve, and where we're planning to go in 2022 and further. So welcome back to the podcast, Rudy. It's great to have you. How have things been? It's been good. Happy to be back. I'm really looking forward to interviewing you and getting your perspective on how you've viewed the Handmade Network over the past year, what you think we could improve on, what you think we did well, and what you would like to see for the network and the community moving forward into the into the years to come. Awesome. So COVID hits in the US at least roughly March of 2020. For me personally, I know that brought me home. I had a lot more free time, way fewer social events. So I started doing much more personal programming. That's when non-textual editor research started for me. That was actually shortly after the podcast started too. And I think for me, what was interesting about that is it brought a research or futuristic atmosphere to the network, which I think is pretty interesting because I th- that seems like it could be the network's proof that its values are valuable in the sense that you can't innovate and push the envelope and and do research and produce new, better things without actually understanding your problem and understanding the realities of your problem. In my mind, that's like right in Handmade handmade Network's wheelhouse. Um, And it wasn't just me. It it seemed to simultaneously happen for a lot of people, I'm assuming maybe because more people were just spending more time online doing programming and and thinking about problems differently. We'd been having lots of discussions on the Discord about rethinking architectural decisions. And I think that translated to a lot of people just rethinking how certain things could be done. That atmosphere, I, I, it was definitely there to a degree before COVID, but it, for whatever reason, one reason or another, it kind of sparked at that point. The adversity breeds innovation type thing. You know what I mean? Like it's one thing to, to theorize on, on what you're going to do when everything's going okay, but then sort of once these realistic, like these problems pop up and everybody's working from home and now everybody's sort of dealing with these these various environments. Now they have to sort of, you like, you have no choice, right? It's in, it's in front of you. It's almost like evolve or die type thing. Yeah. There's also the maybe more obvious changes that would come from COVID. I think people were looking more for social experiences online in general. And I think as a result, I think Handmade Network feels much more like a community after COVID than it did two years ago, let's say. There've just been more community events. We've had, we had a few calls that were kind of random at the beginning, but now we have like regular coffee chats, sort of just more casual interaction in general. I think people are friendlier to each other. It feels a little bit less like sanitized is I guess the the word I would would think of. People can sort of make friends and, and talk about interesting work that they're doing. Aside from the work too, like everybody's always sort of shared their work, but I feel like people are willing to pour a little more of themselves behind it too and talk about themselves and their their background and stuff. I, I've noticed that too. I definitely agree. I just wanted to phrase it in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really positive thing too, because it lets people receive honest feedback on their work. First of all, they're more comfortable to actually put their work out there. I guess I could see it going both ways. Maybe you're less inclined to criticize your friend's work or something, but that's not really the vibe I get in Handmade Network. People are critical and they want to do good things, but at the same time, it's a very very welcoming environment for people to start talking about technical problems that they're working on. Yeah, I think that's been a hugely positive change. It's a lot more fun for me, at the very least, to hang out in Handmade Network, and I know it has been for the admin team as well and for a lot of members that I've talked to. So 
yeah, I mean, for all the bad COVID did, those were pretty good upsides, I think, for for the network. Definitely. Yeah, I definitely think it, COVID had some positive effects. It had some negative effects, too. We've seen we've seen some folks that, that really, unfortunately, there's a self-care channel in the Discord where some people are. And this goes to show, like, a lot of people feel comfortable at least coming and talking about their problems and getting some help. And that's what's really nice is even though that there's some, when you're anonymous, even though that there's that factor there, I feel like folks are willing to come and sort of be vulnerable and and ask for help and, and say what's going on. And instead of like in a normal internet community where you have a lot of joking or not taking it serious, I feel like a lot of folks like really are responsive there and apply their experience and sort of help people out. So that's nice too, when we do see the, the negative side of that. The Handmade Network admin team is all part-time volunteers for the network, basically. Uh, it's a side project. So it always feels slow going for me. But when I was building up this list, preparing for the podcast of achievements that were like big, big events or things that have happened for the network, there's a lot of big things that have happened. And we ran the Wheel Reinvention Jam back in October. There were a number of really interesting projects that were really pushing the envelope. The Wheel Reinvention Jam was about taking ideas, taking ideas about software that you're exposed to all the time. So it could be a program that you use programs or utilities or even down to like programming tools. The Wheel Reinvention Jam was about rethinking the design of those problems from the ground up. So sort of starting from first principles, what is the problem I'm trying to solve? What are the tools that these existing tools provide me? What are, what can I do with them? And are they suitable for the problem or are they not? And if they're not, how could we make them better? From a sort of like first principles, ground up handmade perspective. So not just pulling in lots of libraries to do the job, but really critically thinking about the problem and trying to do a better job, at least at the design portion. Obviously, nobody's going to ship a replacement for a video editor in one week. Uh, it was a one-week jam. But the idea was just to sort of put out the feelers for new designs and new ideas in, in familiar spaces for people. Instead of doing like the more traditional game jam, when obviously those are super interesting as well. But since Handmade is sort of focused more broadly on the world of software, we wanted to do the same kind of thing for areas where we think there could be a lot of improvement. So that's what the jam was about. And I mean, there were a number of amazing projects that were submitted by people. And we had a uh, Wheel Reinvention Jam recap stream where we had a few people come on and show off their project. At first, I thought I lost the recording for that, by the way. But Martin's turns out had... <laughs> That's right. He rec he recorded it. Saved the day. He's got he's got he's got a stream going twenty four seven. That was fantastic. I, I couldn't believe that either. I saw that real time when it happened, and and I was like I was like no way. But yeah, um, you know, from an outsider looking in, I did not participate, but I thought it, it's exactly what you said. Like anytime you look to do anything, the first thing that anybody will tell you is like, don't reinvent the wheel when it comes to anything in software. And what's so cool about that is like in a game jam sort of the field is open, but you know the, the finished product is going to be a game. And it, with, when it came to the wheel reinvention jam, it was like, you didn't know what was going to come out. It could have been, you know, anything from like a calculator app to a text editor or something like so simple that bothered you. Um, it was that simple like snapshot tool. I got so sick of not having what I thought to be a good tool to take snapshots on Windows. On Mac, there's all kinds of options, but on Windows, it was it was very poor. And then, you know, Martin's again, of course, like solved that problem for me with, with some other open source software. 
So what project do you think like stood out to you the most were some of the ones that stood out to you the most when, when you had that recap stream? Yeah. So I'm not going to remember all the projects we had on the recap, but I definitely have a few in mind. So apologies to people that I forgot about that I was Phil H. He was trying to rethink the user experience of the desktop interface naturally. He had built this, it was called Intent, I believe, which was rebuilding the idea of like, you're on your desktop, you sit down on your computer for the day, what do you see and what controls does it offer you? If you use Windows or Mac, you'll know that you'd see your desktop, you can open up programs. And what Phil did that was interesting was reorganizing that UI in terms of workflow modes, more or less, where you could sort of build a set of programs. If I remember correctly, their arrangement, like their window arrangement, although maybe that... It was all organized around productivity. So instead of having a million things that can distract you, it's thinking about setting up timers for yourself, restricting activity in one workflow to a particular window of time so that you don't spend four hours on Twitter or whatever. That would be impressive, four hours. But I've always been pretty interested in desktop UX rethinking in general, just because we've had the same model for for it for such a long time. I don't know. It, it feels like the kind of problem that, we probably don't have the best answer to since it's such an old solution. It was, or the, the existing UI paradigms we have for desktops is they're sufficiently old that I think they're due for another pass. So it was, it was awesome to see people sort of innovating in that space or just trying to come up with a few new ideas. Next one was done by Handmade Network admin staff member Ben Business, who wrote his data. I don't know what it was called, like database explorer, basically. Yeah. So instead of writing. SQL queries like textually with like the difficult to understand and difficult to debug syntax, you can sort of build up queries incrementally and sort of like a node graph style, what do you call it? Visual programming environment where each node is like one particular operation you can do to narrow down your query a little bit more. That was super fascinating to me. Um, there were a bunch of interesting properties that happen to be true for that particular project that aren't true for, I guess, node graphs in general. There were some pretty interesting UI flow ideas that came out of that as well to sort of make the visual pro or the data flow node graph style visual programming be a little bit more manageable. Visualization is sort of everything. What was so awesome about that project was that as Ben is demoing it and like building up the queries incrementally, you see the results of the table. You know, you can imagine as a beginner who doesn't know much about SQL or even databases, you can play with these operations and then see immediately what each one gives you. I think if you don't have access to a system like that, you have to be like extraordinarily rigorous and scientific about every little thing you're doing. Like I changed this now, like that gave me this. So let me keep that in my head and then let me tweak these things. It's just a lot harder for humans to work that way. So <laughs> it was, um, it was awesome to see Ben's approach to that. I could definitely see in general where, where that, that SQL thing would have like real production corporate environment applications and stuff because even in at scale i think you see like some really long crazy like sql queries and and you realize if you think about like database fundamentals like people not running on what they're doing or or then you see like redundant or unnecessarily long sql queries like if you see a sql query that has you know lines and lines that it's like probably not a good idea and i really think that that tool at a minimum could be good for for building something that's that gets exactly what you need or at a minimum, maybe even like reducing the complexity. So that, that, that I think that was a great example of a wheel jam project. And then Phil. Yeah, so Phil was also in charge of, I, I think he was in charge. I don't know the hierarchical structure or anything, but he was working on 
audio and video for Handmade Seattle. He did an amazing job. I mean, I still remember Handmade Seattle. I mean, I don't want to replay like things that went wrong on the internet forever for Handmade Seattle, but Handmade Seattle was like the first year, you know, small indie conference. The AV situation was not particularly functional, let's say. Two years later of the conference, one year being entirely remote, Phil comes in and just everything went flawlessly. And we'll talk about that more later because there's a there's a lot to cover on the front too. I'm just checking to see if it was the same guy because I guess he makes time boxing applications and he also is an, a video producing expert. So there was also Martin, who's uh, forking paths on the Discord, who made he was like a audio sandbox. So he wrote this system where he had a hot reloading C code that ultimately would produce a user interface that was controlling various parameters, like tuning various parameters for audio synthesis. And you could sort of add in new parameters, add in new uh, simultaneous waves to to some audio in real time as the program's running by manipulating some C code. And that would cause like the program to sort of refresh in real time. And then you get new UI that gives you new parameters to tweak for whatever wave. So you can sort of go back and forth between like artistic sort of tuning the fine details mode and then going down to like the code level where you can sort of play with the available controls you have sort of at a more direct level and obviously at a more technical level. His hot reloading stuff like caught my eye quite a bit. Was it different than than what you've implemented in the past or what you've seen? Was it different in some way? So I don't remember exactly how the code was being reloaded, although what he did differently was he had a solution for state changes across time. So because of the nature of the problem, like, I don't know if you could do this in general, unless you were extremely rigorous and strict about it. He was able to change sort of which values were available to him. Like the the difficulty with hot reloading is that at least with the way that handmade hero did it, for example, is uh, you can recompile a portion of the program, like separate it off as a DLL. And then the executable that loaded that DLL can detect that change, unload the DLL, reload it, and then call into the new functions, which have been updated from code changes. That's all well and good until, well, first of all, then the the executable has to control like memory allocation. As the first DLL is unloaded, it keeps all the memory around that was originally being used before the code was changed. Now the code has changed, and the idea is that it just passes back the state, then you're free to keep running with the state that was originally provided by the executable layer. The difficulty becomes when type information changes between code changes. So for example, you have a struct in memory. It has like some number of fields and that's represented in memory somewhere. If the code that you're rebuilding changes and you have changed the type information for the code that's being rebuilt, but the memory representation is still reflective of the old struct, like you add a new field in the middle or something like that, then the new code is going to be interpreting memory in a way that doesn't match how the memory was originally intended to be interpreted effectively. So ultimately, like what happens is you just get bogus data or you crash or something like that because the sizes have all changed and things have shifted around. And that that's like a difficulty that comes up. I mean, it's not a difficulty. It just doesn't happen that often, changing type information, because generally when you're doing hot reloading, you're changing tweaking variables or tweaking some procedural code, not necessarily changing 
massive swaths of code or anything. But he did it. He did it in a different way. He did. He did not do it with like the executable unloading and reloading the DLL. Like he had a different approach to it. Or it had less to do with whether you had the executable unloading and reloading a DLL. The problem of changing type information kind of will get you anywhere. Like if you have permanent state allocated, like you've got to have a plan for it if you plan to handle it at all, if it matters to you. So yeah, if you if you update some code with new type information or with new expectations about memory that don't match the reality of the memory, then you'll run into the same issues. Now, I think Martin, because of the nature of the audio synthesis problem, you don't have a lot of sort of permanent state that you're carrying around all the time. Or if my understanding is that he changed the API that the reloaded code had available to it. So it could, if you wanted to switch to a new structure that looked different in memory, you could somehow like specify the transfer path. Like you'd say, okay, like on this next thing, I actually want to grab something. I want to grab this type from this hash. I'm having trouble remembering, but it was something like it just changed the, the problem by like rethinking the API that the reloaded code had available to it for dealing with like permanent storage and things that it reused across synthesis loops and things like that. Yeah, to get more specific, I would have to talk to him again so he could tell me what he did. <laughs> but but you'll but you'll link the stream for anybody interested in like following up on this and seeing how he did it because I watched some of that stream, but this is the first that I've heard about that. I don't remember the hot reload thing, but that it sounds definitely going to check it out after this. It sounds it sounds super interesting. That that's a great example of like something where there's an established way to hot reload code and see or a few ways, and he thought of something different. To me, that's the essence of like uh, reinventing. The, when when somebody tells you like, how do I hot reload code? Like this example, and then that's what everybody uses. And then he thought of a different way, you know? Granted, that wasn't even what his project was about, but it was that, that concept that he reinvented along the way. I think it also could be related. I mean, I'd have to go back and watch, like I said, but it could also be related to just the nature of his particular problem. It's maybe more difficult to pull off the trick he did if uh, you are working in a game, for example, because the state, the characteristics of the state and what gets kept around, what doesn't changes. That's certainly possible. So it's it's also a good example of just thinking about your problem and, and implementing the solution for it. Instead of, instead of starting sort of top down at the idea that you want code reloading and then jump into the first thing. Yeah, they call that XY problem, right? When you are thinking about how you want to solve the problem instead of like what you actually need to do. Is that, that's the right thing? I think um, I'll link it. Maybe we'll link it. Those are some of the the projects that came out of the wheel reinvention jam. Was there any other projects that popped up? I know there was a ton of stuff at, at Handmade Seattle, but throughout the year in general, is there anything that saw pop up on the forums or in Project Showcase, Handmade projects that really just blew you away? I felt like there was a ton. You know, I think COVID did and, and people being at home, I, I felt like that stream was just like going crazy, right? Like how many how many projects would you say ballpark do you think were added to the to the network? Like 20, maybe 20 to 30, maybe something like that. That's whoever submits to the website. Like you can see a lot more work happening in the Project Showcase channel on Discord because it's just, I mean, or if you go to the website, we've got the... Uh, community showcase feed, just full of stuff all the time. There's always stuff to look at. People are always working on something interesting. As for handmade projects that like are highlights in my mind, I can't, like the, the number one thing in my mind, just because it, it shipped and it was a really good example of like handmade quality work. Here's my guess. I could be completely wrong. Happen Lance. Oh, yes. Nice. All right. Sweet. That's a complete guess. So for listeners, this is Sir Happen Lance and the Spear of Density. Not destiny, 
um, density. This is a handmade game. It started within the community. It was made by community members in a reasonable, pragmatic, handmade way. And it shipped on Steam maybe a month ago at this point, maybe a little bit more than a month ago. Originally, it was framed as a one-month project. So their, their goal was to just like ship a game in one month. Took a little bit longer than that. I don't remember when it started, but it wasn't a month before it was released. But nonetheless, they did actually ship it. Everything just feels really well done in that game. In my mind, many characteristics of an ideal handmade game would be good performance, pleasing to even download and open, cohesively thought through technical details, game design, artistic design, and, and user experience and user interface design. And I feel like Happenland sort of just checks all those boxes. It feels really good to play. I've already spent like, this is actually a pretty big compliment for me because I don't play that many games anymore. I think I've spent 10 hours on it so far, or maybe five to 10 hours or so. And I'll probably end up spending more because I've still got half the game left and I've got to play multiplayer too. Extremely polished is is like the word I would use to describe it. Just at every level, you know what I mean? Um, from the installation to like, and then of course, like it's one thing to, to load the game fast and have it feel nice, but then the playing, I mean, it's just all around the gameplay, the art. So uh, hats off. Yeah, that's why I guessed because I saw that project come through and I was like, that that has to be the one that sticks out for me too. Are there any other like projects, people, ideas that have sort of stuck out to you over the past year? I can't not mention Martin's when it comes to people. He built like two different utilities. The one he um, he just sent out to people and he put up on GitHub was WCAP. Anytime I need to record my screen for anything, I just use WCAP. Perfect level of minimalism, but just enough control that it works really well for me. You can sort of just tell it's handmade because I didn't even have to download an executable. I just cloned the GitHub repository and typed build and it worked. <laughs> That was pretty awesome. Like no no build systems to set up or anything. It was just like, no, there's just a build.cmd or whatever. It's a little unfair because I'm like a member of the community. So I know to have CL set up and all this other crap. But I mean, it just felt really good to just clone, build, and then I could start recording my screen. And I mean, for all I know, that's like a weekend project for Martins. I don't know how much time he spent on it, but it's just been awesome. And obviously mentioning Martins is it, like, that's the tip of the iceberg. I mean, he helps people all the time. He's an amazing community member. He helps me all the time. When I'm streaming programming, he'll he'll many times be in the chat, like giving me info, helping me out. He's been awesome. His projects have been awesome. I get utility out of them all the time. Yeah, we have a few wizards. We have a few wizards in the community, that weekly coffee chat that folks show up to. And I remember when Casey Miratori showed up to one. And even he was like laughing about like, I wonder if Martins knows that we all think of him as like this programming deity is like he okay with it and stuff. But, you know, I think I, I and I really do appreciate that whether you are somebody like Casey or like yourself, that are these experienced folks in the industry and, and are reaching out and getting help from him or whether you're the newest person in the community, you know, the chances of you getting Martins to help you are like the same, you know, so I, I do really appreciate that about him. The fact that he's like willing to reach out to anybody at any time. And uh, I think one thing that's really cool is like you can pretty much take to the bank that the information is going to be correct. Yeah. So besides Happen Lance and WCAP, other examples I thought of on this question were all of the it's sort of not finished projects like Happen Lance. That was the I, I guess projects in general aren't finished that often. So every single one's a marathon. But I've really been enjoying seeing progress on Essence, Whitebox, and Odin. 
all three of which are long-term projects and they continue growing in stability and reliability and feature set. And seeing all the work that's happening there has been awesome. I mean, in, in the case of Essence and White, actually, and Whitebox, they both demoed at Handmade Seattle. And Odin, I guess, wasn't technically demoed at Handmade Seattle, but Gingerbill was in the podcast. So yeah, seeing all the progress there has been amazing. I mean, that's only scratching the surface. Those are some of the highlights that I thought of, but if people want to see more, they can go to the website and just like look at the community <laughs> showcase section and scroll forever. For sure. Just a lot of talent in the community in general. That kind of brings me to my next question. Do you think that the Handmade Network is heading in the, we're on the right track for what like you envision this thing to be that we call the network? Yeah, definitely. I guess to frame this, I'll talk about what I see the goal of Handmade Network as being. And then I can talk about, I think, how we're ultimately meeting that. Especially, I wanted to also talk about some of this, all the work that Ben and Asaf have been doing to the site. Really cool stuff. I, I have to talk about that, but I'll, I'll lead all of that with uh, stating the goal of Handmade Network as I think of it. Our goal with Handmade Network is to build a movement, I would say, that changes the computing world for ultimately the better. And we want to do that through a deep understanding of hardware, low-level layers, so not being afraid to dig deeper into a problem or to, into technologies that we depend on. Uh, most importantly, we want to do that through a deep understanding of the details of our problems. So the real details, not, not like top-down business logic, what's the problem? It's thinking about the physical, real problem. We're engineers, we're telling a computer to do something. How do we tell it to do the right thing? There's an additional important element to that, which is that we reject common dogma within the software industry about abstraction, programming paradigms, frameworks, you name it. And instead, I would say that we're not afraid to start from scratch to solve our problems by thinking about them, by scoping them properly. And yeah, I mean, fundamentally, we want to make the software part of the world, uh, one that cares about the user, performance, simplicity, user experience, design. And ultimately, I would say using computing and and pushing the boundaries of it to do things that were not possible before. It's almost tautological to say that it's much more difficult to produce new things and to do new things that haven't been done before by taking existing code that has been written to solve some already well-understood problem and plugging that together with other libraries or just you know writing a bunch of glue code, basically. Obviously, there are permutations of already existing code that certainly have not been explored it's going to be it's going to be difficult to to really push the envelope if you don't understand the nature of your problems and always have to rely on libraries and and other technology. So, Handmade Network is just about building that movement, that community that fosters a style of development that sort of rejects the common wisdom in the software industry that says, you know, don't reinvent the wheel, you don't need to think about that, you can't write better allocators than people working on compilers or whatever or compiler standard library implementations or whatever. We want to understand our problems and we want to do good work. And Handmade Network specifically is about fostering that. With that in mind, um, over the past year, we had a bunch of stuff happen to the website. So Ben and Asaf like rewrote the entire backend. It's, it's a technical... I'm not a web programmer, so I, I'm not going to even try to talk about it. Doesn't sound like much from a user-facing perspective. I mean, the one thing you'd notice after the change is that the website just got a lot faster. I think most importantly is that the team... They now have access to a code base that is internal to the team. Like we built it, we understand it 
more than the code base that was handed down to us that we inherited from the last admin team. And that, that, that actually opens the door, I think, for some of the further work we're doing. So website backend rewrite, a little bit before that, we first introduced the community showcase integration, which is the Discord bot that will look at Project Showcase, correlate Discord usernames to handmade network usernames, and then pull any resource, like if you enable this, obviously. You can avoid it if you want. That Discord bot will take whatever you post in Project Showcase and produce sort of like a a filtered project highlight section for you under your profile on the website. If you want to show people what you're working on, you link them to your handmade network profile and it'll have anything you've posted in Project Showcase as like a filtered list. It's all the good stuff because you posted it in Project Showcase. So yeah, so that was the first thing that happened. Then the website rewrite happened. The community showcase integration was just like one step to implement what we call Projects 2.0. And Projects 2.0 had to do with this Project Showcase integration. We were trying to think about how to reframe the website, complementing the Discord community, as opposed to sort of letting them diverge forever. I mean, ultimately, the website wasn't getting a lot of traffic. Most people were just interacting on the Discord. We started thinking about, okay, how do we make the website complementary to what people care uh, about the Discord for? First, it was just the community showcase integration. And then for work that just happened recently, we've introduced the idea of personal projects. So before we had personal projects on the website, uh, the project process was basically you submit some resources about your project, the admin team looks, and we hand pick, we either approve or deny your project. So the projects on the website are curated lists that are selected by the admins. With personal projects, that's no longer true. Um, we still do have a curated list of featured projects that are like, we vetted them basically, but uh, personal projects are basically the extension of the community showcase integration to projects for people. So you can go on the website right now, make a personal project. Every project gets what's called a tag. And a tag is just a string that corresponds one-to-one with your project. So every project gets one tag. And you can go into your project showcase posts and add that tag with a, with a symbol because text so you add your tag to those posts and that will correlate or associate that particular project showcase post with your project as well. And you can have multiple tags on those posts. So anytime you're wanting to build your content collection for your project, uh, show people what's going on, you just add the tag for your project and it'll be pulled to your Handmade Network project page. Because before that, people would post in Project Showcase and generally not on the website. In Project Showcase, you're showing off. There's real-time interaction. People give you feedback almost immediately. With the website, it's much slower. The rate of conversation is much slower. Not that many people are there as opposed to, to the Discord. There was no real incentive to go to the website and start uploading lots of screenshots or something, especially because the only place to upload screenshots was like a featured screenshot thing. But now, but now, like this, this sort of thing is like collecting all this work. So, like they can sort of focus on their project. And and I mean, you know this firsthand. When you have a website, you're so busy with your other projects and and really focusing on like trying to do. And then you know, sort of like explaining and stuff. Like it's one of the most important parts to explain what you're doing, what your project is, and how you're doing. But you get so wrapped up in your project that it, it sort of becomes like an after. So I think the integration of this project so- showcase thing and having this tag and everything sort of falls under the project. It's, it's really a fantastic integration. I, I agree. And it lets folks um, focus on their project instead of having to do both things. You can definitely tell the truth of what you're saying just by looking at 
how many project updates were coming out on the website before this. I mean, I guess you can't go back and look now, but, but yeah, there weren't many. I mean, people had to put in a lot of work to go write a blog post or make a video or something. Uh, with Project Showcase, it's like, I mean, you use WCAP, for example, record your project and then drag and drop into Discord and you're done. So making that process very low friction, I think was really important. And yeah, I mean, the website's gotten so, so cool comparatively now. We're trying to do a good job of fostering that environment, fostering that community that I that I talked about. I think there were a couple things that I'm never particularly excited about, I guess. Number one is programming language wars. They always happen. I don't think any programming community will ever get rid of them. And I don't mean like people discussing programming languages because we have people working on programming languages in the network, on network projects. But I just mean more like, it's the equivalent of people telling you to go use Rust or something or rewrite your project in this. Or if somebody asks a question about some particular language they're they're working in and somebody else says, well, you should be using this language. Doesn't happen that often in Handmade Network, especially relative to other communities. It's remarkably wholesome and and pretty like pre- pretty pleasant in engagements, I would say, on the network overall. Yeah, if you compare to the rest of the internet, it's like mind-blowing. So language wars, I'm not a fan. I think we should stop doing it. That extends to more generally just technologies that people like to use in general, frameworks, APIs, those kinds of things. People are very opinionated about them. And I think that it's uh, kind of missing the forest for the trees. Like you're kind of ignoring the real problems that we're facing as an industry. Every time a language war starts, I'm just like, okay, whatever. All of the languages are bad anyways. So <laughs> the other thing that I would say, like, I hope that we can improve on is Handmade Network is sort of by the very nature of its goal and and of its pres- premise. It can be quite negative. It can be overly focused on the inadequacies of, for example, large corporate entities that tend to produce really crappy software, as they do. I think we have to be honest, right? We can't pretend that Microsoft is going to ship us good software. We can't pretend that you know everyone's just doing a good job because there's plenty of people not doing a good job. Otherwise, the community wouldn't exist. But there's a point at which it becomes worthless to discuss how bad certain programmers are and corporate entities are. It becomes less interesting, especially when people start dogpiling certain individuals and that kind of thing. Now, I don't have a problem public proof that handmade ideas about programming are better than non-handmade ideas about programming. So if somebody, I'm intentionally avoiding specifics, but if somebody demonstrates, for example, that it's possible to write software that gets much closer to the theoretical maximum capabilities of their machine than, for example, what Microsoft, Apple, whoever ships. That's great because that's just putting proof out there like, hey, look, like you can actually write something much better than what these massive corporations are doing. And it's not that hard. Like you can do it if you're one person. I think that's very important and really displays the values of of the network. When it turns into a dog pile, when it turns into look at us, we're great, we can criticize large corporations. It's like, it's kind of low hanging fruit at this point. You find bad software everywhere and like nobody cares if you're criticizing it, if you're not doing anything. So we should focus more on the doing and less on... Agree. Yeah, definitely. Like um, maybe, maybe instead of having an opinion, like have a solution. Yeah. And speaking of next year, people can expect to see more Projects 2.0 progress. So all the project stuff I just talked about was it like just came out and it's still new and there's missing features and stuff, but the general structure is there. But yeah, next year you'll see more progress on that front. We've also got plans for integration for the website with Twitch. So you'll be able to find like handmade streamers doing work. We had a page for that a while ago, but I don't know the details, but it sounds like Twitch's API changes or something weird 
Twitch's APIs has issues or something. I don't know. That's one goal we want is just better integration with Twitch. If you're trying to look for handmade streamers, we should have a page on the website that's like, hey, here's a grid of streamers currently active now or people or channels that are currently offline, but they've streamed recently or something like that. And I also think that that could also integrate with just a general scheduling mechanism on the website. So you can schedule streams, schedule events, even like schedule meetups and stuff like that. You know, there are a lot of handmade meetups that are sort of happening all the time. That'd be, that be That would just be a great tool. I mean, right now we already have the when is it tool that Asaf wrote and put on the website. But I think a more event-based idea where you, you have explicit events on the calendar, they start at this time, and like here's the associated link for them so people can find out when streams are happening or whatever. I think that'd be really useful. Yeah, we're planning to do stuff with that. For the Wheel Reinvention Jam, we were prepping a bunch of beginner packages. So these are just like zip files that you can download, extract, and then they're pretty much like full structures of projects ready to go with various selections of technology. I mean, we're kind of asking to get into a massive combinatoric explosion just by like saying like, pick your technologies and we'll have a perfect package prepared for you. You know, there's a lot of lot of combinations for sure, but we thought it'd be a good thing for that or for the uh, for the network to formalize that and just say like, hey, here's a page where pick the technologies you need, like your operating system, which graphics API you want to use, maybe a couple of other things, and give me a zip file that lets me get started easily. Given values of handmade programming, like how do I avoid build system crap? Like how do I avoid all of that and just get started? That's something we've talked about. We haven't started concrete work on it, but... Yeah, we, we, we've all agreed that'd be a really nice resource for people. And additionally, just more podcast. I'm hoping to get Martins on. I did I did request. He accepted. I've just been terrible about scheduling and making time. Hopefully, we'll get Martins on the podcast for people who are unfamiliar, even though we've mentioned him by name on this podcast several times. He's the, the network's resident uh, human encyclopedia, basically, <laughs> slash programming wizard. Yeah, he, he he's just a great person. It's it's far overdue. I've got to get him on the podcast. So that's sort of what we're doing, like logistically, like what what we have plans for to do directly. And yeah, I mean that's pretty much it. That sums up our plans. Is there anybody else that you're planning on getting on the podcast that you'd really like to have on? Do you ever have plans to like maybe have everybody that I can think of that has a giant project uh, in the network has either come on like you know uh, Bill's been on a bunch. Andrew, a whole bunch of these folks. Do you think Casey would want to come on and talk to you, the the network and what he thinks about how this thing has sort of spawned off of his original project or? I'd love to have Casey on. I was waiting to get better internet, which now I have. So, I mean, there's a number of really big handmade figures, many of of whom Abner talked to on his show originally. So there's a long list of people to choose from to just start talking to. And I feel like Casey's a natural fit just because of his kind of importance to the movement, his creation of Handmade Hero, and his continued presence as a handmade-adjacent sort of community figure. Not not necessarily representative. Uh, I know he kind of wants kind of wants to do his own thing, but... Sure, sure. But it's interesting to just to just hear from him, like, you know, what does he think about, like, this this whole sort of community that's... It is independent of, of sort of what he started, but, you know, I know he, he participates from time to time, and it's sort of... Abner's another one, you know, it'd be interesting to see like this, this thing he sort of set up and like, he, he has such an interesting story and, and he's sort of like a, a person that's like larger than life to meet him and, and some other folks at um, Handmade Seattle. That's another event I think that'll be coming up again. And it, it's hard to overstate the importance that the network played 
in Handmade Seattle too. I mean, you guys, I don't know if Ben got to watch any of the talks. I felt like he was the entire time working on the website. You know, a lot of people were presenting and stuff. So there was a lot of work from the Handmade staff that went into that into that conference. Yeah. So I don't think anyone should take too much credit because Abner has had his plate full of stuff to do. But yeah, I think everyone on the Handmade staff was really happy to help in whatever way they could. I think everyone who helped with the conference did an amazing job. We mentioned Phil earlier. He did an amazing job with the AV stuff. I can't stress it enough. Hearing about what Abner had to deal with, I mean, across multiple years, right? The second year of the conference, COVID happens. And then like this year, there's all these restrictions in place. And he's like trying to navigate this landmine field of problems. And and he did an amazing job at it. Yeah, I mean, so, so much credit to Abner and everyone who helped. I feel like one of the most powerful pieces of feedback for the whole thing was that it's very difficult to foster an environment where those in person and those attending online sort of feel like they're getting the same quality of conference. And I think the number one piece of feedback that I heard was that it was so inclusive of whether you were in person or whether you were at home, you felt like you were sort of getting the same thing. Like there was almost no benefit to having an in-person ticket as far as the talks and, and stuff go. Cause the, like the quality is so good. It was yeah. Handmade Seattle, huge event. Abner's the mastermind there, but yeah, it's, it's amazing to have a handmade conference. There's so much good stuff that happens there. Looking forward to years in the future too. There's also a demo for handmade network at the conference too. So if people want to go check that out, it's just a short video. It's not, it's mostly about the website and sort of what we do as a community what our values are and what we're trying to do. But where do you see this thing going looking far ahead? So we talked about this past year. We talked about next year. I think that as projects continue to mature, you'll start seeing larger portions of the industry becoming more reliant on technology or, or technology produced within the handmade community. This is already true with Odin, for example, and Embergen. I mean, Embergen is in the handmade network project, but it was started by people within the handmade network. Some of the founders were community members. And I think projects take a long time. Handmade Network's maybe five years old at this point, six years old. I mean, that's still very young when it comes to people growing as programmers and producing projects. So I think in five to 10 years, you're probably going to see many of the ideas that are currently being worked on come to fruition and find their place in the industry. Better alternatives for you know gigantic, bloated, and extremely slow programs that people are sort of forced into using right now because they're kind of the only options. I think that you'll start seeing more competition from people in the handmade space. That's pretty much the biggest thing to me because ultimately the goal is to change the face of software and to refocus on the user, refocusing on do doing a good job at engineering things. I'm hoping that spreads as much as possible. I mean, I want every software, every piece of software I use, I want it to feel more like the person who wrote it cared about what my experience was like and I'm sure that many other people could say the same. So I think that's great, Ryan. I think uh, be a part of this community and like cheer people on and see this whole thing move forward. So yeah, it's been an awesome year, even facing challenges. I think that Handmade Network has really managed to still become stronger. I think the Handmade movement overall has become stronger thanks to Handmade Seattle. And I think I think it'll keep getting keep getting better. So um, well, thank you. Thanks so much for doing this. I know. A lot of people in the community really appreciate you taking the time to, to lay out what your thoughts are and what your expectations are. We definitely appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it and hope to keep contributing. And I hope hope we can really drive drive this whole whole thing to something, something really good. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. 
All right. Thanks, Rudy. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Handmade Network podcast. You can join us in making software by hand by going to handmade.network. You can also email in questions or topics for the podcast to podcast at handmade.network. Hope to see you next time.